You're listening to Mike and Kristen. The podcast. I'm Mike, a musician, writer, and producer. And I'm Kristen, a painter, writer, and designer. Our show is all about following dreams, taking chances, and what life as an artist is really about. Together, we bring you weekly guest interviews and thought-provoking conversations. Let's go! What's going on, Kristen? I wondered if you were going to try a British accent for the intro. You do yours first. <laughs> I was going to ask James when he was here if he wanted to swap accents. He could try the Canadian, Valley Canadian at that. I'd say he could probably do one. Yeah, he could do a much better impression than British accent. <laughs> not bad, not bad. <laughs> I don't know if I'm going to try one. Are you embarrassed? I'd have to practice it first. No, you're good at improv. You took improv <laughs> classes not too long ago. Yeah, what did took, they teach you? Took three. Well, not how to do a British accent anyway. We'll get James to teach a British improv class, I think. I I just go like a hardcore Scottish accent. and That would probably make some Brits mad. Not James know? Mullinger, though. I don't no. think this man gets mad. No, he's a positive ball of energy and light and just goodness vibrating through through day-to-day life in the maritimes now he we've been trying to get him on the show for over a year we figured out together and our very kind and gracious amazing friend nancy regan nancy nancy in the house again as james was leaving for the interview we recalled that it was nancy who helped us meet finally and we were kind of starting to describe our feelings about her and realize that we didn't really have there's no words to exist yeah she's the best no words that exist james for, is, for old nance james is up there pretty high too yeah they're a good they're good people to have in our corner and he yes he has such a fascinating story and we he was on his way to sound check to king's theater in annapolis royal and we ran out of time to ask all of the questions we would have liked to, but also acknowledge that if we had asked all of those questions, he likely would have been having a sleepover. So next time, next time yeah. he'll bring his PJs maybe, yeah. but he left behind a copy of his book, which I'm about a third of the way through that answers a lot of those questions. Oh, nice. So I'm really enjoying it. And obviously it's hilarious. And he, he gives a really honest encounter about his life and experiences and pathway to comedy, becoming a stand-up yeah. comic, yeah, amongst many other things he's done. But Very talented gentleman, known mainly around these parts as a comedian and with his new book out. But he was an editor with GQ magazine and got to interview some pretty heavy hitters out there. So I've just read a chapter in his book about the time that he met Paul McCartney because oh, yeah. he was at Stella McCartney, Paul's daughter's wedding. Okay. With Madonna was there and ah. Liv Tyler. and But there's the story, I don't want to give it away, but there's more to the story than him saying like, oh, I met Paul McCartney. It was actually kind of a, a full circle Moment of gratitude for him or um, fulfillment, we'll say. So grab your copy of his book right now. Brit happens. He's, uh, yeah, no, he, he was a pleasure to, to have here. And just 
just so happy and smiling all the time and just uh he makes you smile just with that energy floating around. Totally. And he's he's a great storyteller. He's a real intellect though. He I, I think sometimes when you see a stand up comic, they kinda have this silly, energetic energy about them, but he's got lots of layers, we'll say. Yeah, I know it was it was amazing to to dive in a little deeper and fi- find out some really interesting stuff that I, I didn't know about him and just kind of how he got started in comedy. Uh, I don't want to give it away because we'll reveal in the show, but uh, yeah, the East Coast connection in, in getting that spark going is, mm-hmm. is more, it is bigger than I thought it was. My favorite part of the interview or value add, we'll say, is his ability to see a gap and fill it himself Mm. like he's not afraid to diy or just take initiative to make something happen that he wants to that's a skill that if more people had the world would be a a much better place 100 percent. and he fits right in here in the maritimes we're so happy to have him yeah Well, let's just jump into this chat, and I know you're going to enjoy this, folks. And here's us and James Mullinger. The very first time I heard myself, and I think this is like on a maybe early cell phone like years ago. Oh my God, that's what I sound like in real life. I know, it's distressing. Yeah. What about looking at yourself? I mean, I don't particularly like it, but it was interesting actually listening to you both uh, chatting with Katie Kelly about, um, you know, when one needs to watch and listen to oneself. And, and, And to your point, Kristen, about, you know, sometimes needing to do it just to study the the stagecraft or the performance and so um i've never sat and egotistically watched i don't think i don't think i've egotistically watched myself not like not in in the same way that che diaz in in uh sex in the cities and just like <laughs> sits yeah. and what uh smokes pot and watches her own stand-up laughing their own stand-up laughing um and uh so i've done i've done it but i do obviously i i record almost every gig um mm. i i've certainly record any gigs where i'm testing new material and so yeah i'm able to kind of i mean i'm able to remove a lot of the self-loathing uh in in those environments and just basically sit there and go okay what did i say wrong there how can i make this joke funnier and really so i can i can you know take a a step back back and um and i can analyze it without uh Kind of going, oh my god, I look and sound terrible, which is my instinct to think that you're looking <laughs> at it as the art form and how you can make it better. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It was always a very objective thing, and and even though I'm obviously studying my performance and the the enunciations and the and the pauses, yeah. really the thing that I'm studying most is the audience laughter, and I'm yeah. analyzing. Okay, you know, I mean, one of the things that I do, for example, when I'm testing new material, is I'll tape record the whole thing, and then I'll actually transcribe. Because again, quite often with a new material night, in the early stages of building a new tour and a new set list, I will pretty much just turn up with one sheet of paper and just have subject lines. So, for example, I mean, one a bit that on my tour last year that uh, 
became a, a closing bit, I just had the word glory holes written down. So it was close. <laughs> and now this built up into kind of a 10, 15 minute bit. Yeah. Um, so by tape recording, I would then transcribe everything that came out of my mouth. Often I would come off stage having no idea what I'd said, especially, yeah. you know, you end up in this, in this almost, you know, um, you know, it, it, it's like a, a parallel universe almost where yeah. you're kind of, uh, these things are happening. You're not even really aware of it. You're just riffing. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And type it up. And then I'll, I'll highlight in red where the laughs come ah. and then go through. And again, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's very boring. Like this is the weird thing is that, you know, mm. stand up comedy, which of course is all about on the night. It's all about freewheeling and it's yeah. all very, I suppose to feel very in the moment and immediate. And, and of course it is. Um, but equally, in order for it to get there, it has to be uh, quite scientifically mm. uh, and methodically planned. And so, yeah, basically, I sit down and I go through those word documents and go, okay, there's uh, there's the there's the red mark for the laugh, and there's the red mark for the laugh. What of these words that I say in between can I lose to get to the laugh mm. quicker? <laughs> so it's it's um, and then you you have this plan, and then of course, once you get out on stage every night, uh, you might completely discard all that and just have yeah. fun, and something happens in the room and. Um, which is why those you know, improvised moments. Are, but the trick is, of course, making it all look and feel improvised. Is this method you created for, I guess, learning where the laughs are and how to gauge an audience? Is this something you just created on your own or have you learned from other people? That's a good question. I think a lot of other people do this. I think every comedian has their own system. Yeah. You know, someone like Jimmy Carr writes the jokes very methodically yeah. and um, has them almost perfectly scripted. And while he probably is tossing around different words and testing different uh, emphases on different yeah. words, for the most part, he constructs the perfect joke. And when he tests it, he goes on stage. And of course, they're one-liners, so yeah. it's different, but he goes up and, and reads it. Um, but I think for a lot of comedians, it is yeah a case of, certainly in my case, I'm I'm not methodically scripting it when I'm testing it, I, I think, okay, there's something in this idea, this, you know, in the glory hole instance, you know, yeah. it's hilarious that the Canadian Centre for Disease Control recommended that glory holes would be a safe way to have uh, promiscuous <laughs> sex during the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. I mean, that is... Uh, Just the words glory hole gl really should yeah. get a laugh. They, yeah. That's it, they do. And of course, uh, hilariously in Canada, unlike in England where glory holes are all the rage, uh, in Canada, a lot of people don't know what they are. So this became quite a big thing where... And this wasn't planned to be part of the set, but I would say it and it would there'd be half the room would laugh and the other half would look confused. So then yeah. I would say, well, who doesn't know what a glory hole is? Boom. There's another five minutes where I get to explain to often uh, an older, very confused, but uh, hopefully delighted <laughs> should person. We, should we explain that now for our <laughs> listeners? Well, 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 I guess so. I mean, I guess, yeah. And you know, I did not mean to start uh, off um, this, this family-friendly podcast with a crass. But, 10 a.m. Um, 10 a.m. But, but to be fair, uh, the Canadian government did start, the Canadian Centre for Disease Control did start it. Um, a glory hole is very popular in England in that you... Almost any British pub you go in, there is a glory hole. Uh, a glory hole is, and I'll, I, I do, do vaguely remember the exact definition that was written on the Canadian Centre for Disease Control's website, but it's a, a hole uh, drilled into a wall that is uh, big or small enough, I guess, depending on who you are, um, big or large to, to fit a uh, a piece of a man's a man's <laughs> member through, and the aim, I guess, with the glory hole is that, is that the member goes through, 
and the 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 gentleman, if you can call it that, will stand there and wait to see if someone. Does. And again, I, I'm of the belief that I th think it's predominantly men using these things. I don't think many women are standing at a glory hole going, "I'll see what shows up." I don't think yeah. that's much of a thing. I could be wrong. Uh, <laughs> answers on a postcard, please, <laughs> listeners. Uh, so th that's what. It, and so uh, for that reason, the Canadian government recommended that this would be a way to, and everything about that is hilarious that they yeah. would even recommend that. And of course it became international news. And, and part of what also made it funny was that um, friends back in the UK rarely follow Canadian news. And they, yeah. you know, we, we are very well versed in Canada about what's happening globally. Other countries are very um, enclosed in terms of their, their worldview and their and what they see and what they learn. So yeah. um, when the glory hole thing blew up, I had 50 plus, I woke up and went out 50 plus messages from people in the UK going, what's the deal with the grill? <laughs> I mean, it made international news and we were, you know, I, go Canada. Go Canada, <laughs> yeah. yeah. This well, is that, what we become known that, for. That's what we're, yeah. yeah. My favorite bit was the BBC sent a guy down to the Maple Leaf pub in uh, Covent Garden in London. And it was, it was, it was like a comedy sketch, but it was real. Like the door bursts open and this guy comes out and he's got a big maple leaf and he's got like a, he's holding a pint of moose head. He looked like what that, <laughs> those Rick Moranis character, the old, uh, what were they called? Doug McKenzie. Yeah. yeah. Looked like, uh, one of those characters. And the, they said, so how do you feel about Canada? And this guy just shouts out, makes me proud to be Canadian. And I thought, yes. And this was the same year that I became Canadian. I thought, yeah, this is it. Yeah, a, I'll move there. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. This'll do. So I feel like, um, so yeah, that, that, to use an example, that's a bit that started off as two words on a piece of paper, yeah. became a 15-minute bit. Mm. And, and that's how I form all of my material, is, is that way. Do you do a, like a dress rehearsal of sorts or a dry run without an audience to practice a bit? Or is... Never without an audience. Never no, without an audience. No, I mean, there's, there's literally no... It's funny, it's... You know, I know there's different levels to this, but really stand-up is one of the only things where you where there's no you can't practice it without yeah. an audience mm -hmm. you know and it, which which is why when you're starting out it's such a hard and brutal journey because yeah. you know as you know like i mean a musician you wouldn't get on it you wouldn't get on stage until you knew how to play an instrument like your first your first mm -hmm. guitar lesson your first thing lesson wouldn't be in front of a live audience but with yeah. stand-up there is no other way i mean sure you can learn the lines but the whole craft is mm. um is engaging with an audience. And of course, I mean, with all life performance, that is the case. And someone, of course, learns a musical instrument or learns poetry or learns what, whatever, the ballet, and then they have to learn how to do it on a stage, of course. But with stand-up, there's none of it. So when you start out, you are literally going up, um, you've got no stage presence, the material's all new, <laughs> because of course you've never done it before. Um, but yeah, so when I'm now, when I'm writing stuff, there's I'll do new material nights, which is billed as... This is, I actually call, I call those nights, they're called work in progress shows, but I literally just call, I just have written on the poster, it says, it might be shit. Right. Right. And it's like, this is mm. what, you, if you want like half an hour of just anything can happen, this is the yeah. show for you. So the thing that's very nerve wracking is when I put on those shows and then people turn up and go, oh, hi, you know, I've never, I've been meaning to come to one of your shows and, uh, and, and this is our first time seeing you. And I'm yeah. like, no, please. Like, why, <laughs> why can't you come, come to a theater when it's home? Like anyway. Yes. Um, but that again is quite good because it terrifies me, but it yeah. also forces me to go, okay, up it a notch. If you can make this freewheeling, improvised testing ground, 
show feels some good enough this person leaves going that was good then you've mm -hmm. uh, then you're onto something so yeah so i basically just keep building it until it's ready to um till it's ready to, to take on the road and then gradually i, I will you know in, gradually insert the bits as they work into tour shows i just bought myself a new saxophone oh nice i played in grade seven and not since then Beautiful. And I'm now realizing that could actually make for a really good show to be to stand up in front of an audience and say, you're going to have to endure me learning this instrument would be I don't know if it would be marketed as music or comedy. It but would be hilarious. There's a hybrid yeah. in there somewhere there I think, that could work. Yeah, I think that we just discovered definitely... a new art. I think. Yes, <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah, people watching people learn things. I mean, it's mm. the same with like, um, you know, a novelist doesn't want you reading their book when it's half into the painter doesn't. And yet with stand up, every single thing is half formed when you first take it up. Mm -hmm. my, 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 uh, my 12 year old son Hunter plays saxophone and uh, I think it's great. The dog, had, we have a mini doodle, Willow, who absolutely hates it. Like he, mm. he does anything like and she doesn't bark at anything at all apart from her own reflection. Uh, and if, so if she had to compile a list of two things she hates, it's her own cute face and hunter playing the saxophone. <laughs> that checks. Yeah. Our cat hates, our cat loves music other than the Lumineers. Right. I don't know why. That's amazing. Very specific. Yeah, they can't like, decide it. Yeah. Very versatile tone. <laughs> I was working on a song here and the cat was on my lap and my song was blasting. He was just happy. And then I played a Lumineer song as a reference track. Sometimes you 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 play your track and then another like polished track to kind of reference each other. And when the Lumineer started, he perked up, looked around, and he just got mad and he jumped off and ran away. I'm like, sorry, George, I will not play the. We Lumineers. won't tell the band. That's yeah. amazing. Except now they will know. <laughs> yeah. Hey, is that my phone going off? Amateur hour. I can't believe um, I left my. Uh, I, I don't know. My, I don't. I, I don't it, actually it hear it. Do you want and to take I, the call on No, air. definitely don't want to take the call. Answer that. I'm just going to uh, <laughs> turn this up. I apologize, everyone. That is a uh, highly... Uh, Rookie mistake. Highly unprofessional. <laughs> no, I know. No, we it's are now all good. <laughs> I want to ask both of you guys, because I feel like this is something that you would have in common as stage performers. And my relatability here is podcasting in that there's kind of... As the more interviews you do, one would imagine that you improve. So maybe... And this, going back to maybe observing yourself and learning from that or re-listening mm -hmm. to these episodes you would think okay maybe my questions are more developed uh i i stumble less or mumble less i have also found that because i have that in my head i am almost more nervous than more comfortable because there's this level of expectation of myself and possibly the audience that this is going to get better and better and better can you either of you relate to that feeling? I completely agree. But Mike, go first. Well, songs are are something where I could practice it a million times at home and I think I have it down perfect, but when I get in front of a group of people, it just feels completely different. Right. It's 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 something it's, it's not the same as comedy where you need the audience, but Ultimately, the end goal for someone who's making their living as a musician, there's lots of people just play at home and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the songs I create have to be perceived in some type of positive way by an audience for me to be able to survive. Of course. So I think, and maybe it's just the nerves too, like unleashing this brand new thing to the world. Like I had a show last night and I played a, a new song for the first time and. I played it a 
bunch here, but as soon as I started playing, like different factors come in, like, oh, I whistle at the start of this. It seems way easier to whistle at home than in front mm. of a mic for some reason. Uh, so I, I think I think it's just you need to get those reps in in front of people for sure to to get comfortable with it and to learn like okay i need re, really need to take a deep breath in this spot or whatever it may be mm-hmm. so yeah there's no pressure on you at home and that li- even if it's just a little bit of pressure like i wasn't nervous about to play the song last night but just knowing that they're going to have an opinion off it just changes the way maybe you you put it out there. So. Totally, yeah. But also, I mean, the way that you connect with an audience when you're playing something which they're familiar with and they know or you yeah. see them and they're yeah. singing along. And For then, sure, yeah. you know, the vulnerability when you're opening up and, and playing that new song. Yeah. Um, and I guess also it's that thing where you play it at home a hundred times, but then suddenly there'll be a riff or there'll be a chord and then and, and you'll see people and you're reading the room in the same way any live, any comedian is, any musician, yeah. you're reading the room. And then if you see everyone reacting a certain way to a thing, you're like, okay, well, yeah. they like if they like that, then we should ramp up this. Yes. Um, and no, it's very interesting. And I think that uh, entertainers are experts in reading the energy off a of space. Like like you're saying, you, you, you react how the audience is feeling. But if, if you just, if you couldn't hear what the audience was doing or whatever, I think you could still feel what, their reaction. And I feel with music, like as, as soon as you're in front of an audience, you can kind of read the energy that's in a room, and that, that might be a little woo woo, but it 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 is real. If you yeah. have those multiple successes, though, I guess what I'm saying over and over, does it create some type of almost more anxiety within you, knowing that that expectation is there? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's interesting you say that because again, I was I, I listened to all your podcasts and think you guys are great, and it's so exciting to be here. By the Thank way, you. I didn't, didn't get the chance to say this at the beginning, but it, uh, it it really is. And one of the things, Kristen, that you'd been chatting to um, uh, Katie about with interviews and and energy levels, and you mentioned how um, when you went in to do a, a t- TV interview and the director's energy and how it yeah. you started acting in a certain way, and this is why this is so nice. Like, like I've basically done the two. Polar opposite. Yesterday morning, I did um, CTV Morning Live, which is kind of six minutes, which is obviously a it's mm. live. B you're you're aware that you've that you've got this tiny amount of time to make an impression. Mm. Um, and of course, you are you know I'm sure some you know I'm sure a lot of big big name performers just rock up to these things. They do twenty in a day, maybe I don't know, but equally, I mean, a lot of them do have a plan. But it's that thing where you go and you go, okay, in six minutes, I've got to I've got to get this information in i mean you're there to plug a thing you're mm-hmm. there to promote whether it be a book or a tour or mm-hmm. an album um but also you want to be natural you don't want to sit there just selling you also want to be funny that's and you want to be genuine so there's all those things going yeah, through your mind you're describing this perfectly right and it's it's such a and i mean i i be i do spend a, a lot of time thinking about it a lot of time trying to get it right um and this is what's nice about this is this is this is the polar opposite where you know we know we've got an hour hour and a half to sit and chat we can be ourselves and again as you said and as Katie said on that brilliant episode um, it's not that it's not yourself in those things but it's like in that six minutes you can't walk in and just sit there and have a long thought or have a pause and have a you know you've got to mm. essentially you've got a job to do hit your marks that's exactly yeah. it and it's um and it's interesting when it goes well 
I did the the CTV's show, the the social in Toronto a couple of months ago, and that was interesting because I was aware of obviously the fact you know it was a bigger viewership possibly than than I normally would have, and um, I was there for the whole show, and then to make it more scary, I'm kind of there as a as a panelist slash guest, and you're going to discuss four stories, and then they said that you only find out what the stories are about 30 minutes before the show. So I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I haven't even got time to kind of plan anything. And I arrived at the studio and uh, amazingly, and again, this is the thing with these kind of shows is of course, it's it's a very well-oiled machine. It's very well, um, it's very well choreographed. Um, mm. You know, like one of my favorite chat shows in the UK is the Graham Norton show where, um, you know, yes, it's all freewheeling. It seems a bit crazy. And these huge stars come in. You've got Matthew McConaughey and Ryan Gosling and, they're all just having fun. But obviously, the researchers have spent all week studying, working out what's going to be the best anecdote, what anecdote yeah. has the guest not said before. Um, and so anyway, point with this social thing was I was terrified. When I got there, they gave me the four subjects, and it was all things that I would would very easily riff with. You know, it was about um, being an, an immigrant into Canada and all, all things that relate to myself. Yeah. And it turned out that they had basically done their research and picked subjects that would work for my skill set or whatever else so it, so it kind of becomes this collaboration where you all want to create this thing that's entertaining mm -hmm. um but it's completely nerve-wracking and it is a weird thing and it's kind of the same with stand-up where i'm meticulously planning this set you know i have a show tonight in annapolis royal uh i will spend all afternoon i mean i've already crafted the set that i want to do it's mostly the same tour show i'm doing uh every night uh, on this tour but of course i'm tweak things make things specific look at what keep meticulous meticulous notes of what i did there last time mm. uh, making sure there's no repeats and then looking at what's happening in the town create some some new very specific bits mm -hmm. watch uh old watch videos again of of previous recordings of the show so that it's in my head uh all of the beats but then ultimately right before you walk out it's like okay forget all of that and just go out and be real and then you've got this plan uh, so you know and you can play with the crowd and so it's 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 yeah so it's, it's a very weird dichotomy that combination of this job where you're there could not be more plates spinning <laughs> and you could not be juggling more things uh mentally and, and in every other possible way but yet you have to look like hey we're just standing at the bar of a pub and we're just having a <laughs> chat and it's the most yeah. casual natural thing and i guess it's that weird thing where Comedy is a job where you've got to look like the most casual, but actually it's quite a stressful mm. thing. And there's not many jobs, although I guess there are. I mean, like, I mean, I'm sure, I mean, a friend of mine uh, by the name of Dr. Ansar Hassan, who was a heart surgeon in St. John, came to me a few years ago and said he wanted to try stand up. And I said, well, that's good. I've always wanted to try heart surgery. So let's do a job swap. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah swaps. And uh, he, um, he was a, a weirdly stand up you know it takes years it, it takes years to get good at. i've never seen anyone be good at it straight away here's the only example of someone i've ever seen who was good immediately and the only thing i can put it down to is that heart surgery is obviously a job where you're doing this insane you're cutting people mm. open and saving lives and touching their hearts and doing whatever other stuff they do when they're in there um and you have to act completely at ease and he can't be standing there looking like he's panicking so i think he took that mm. and applied that on stage where however panicked he felt he was able to kind of um he was able to poker face it and oh, yeah that's so interesting yeah. that's amazing are there other are there other ways to train that muscle good question 
Yeah, to how to look calm when you are under extreme. It's a good question. I don't know if there are. I mean, again, I mean, I guess you go know, on dates. Yeah, 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 yeah dates. Yeah, I, I know. I guess I asked that from. Is this a natural characteristic that some people perhaps have, or could anybody train themselves to embody that maybe confidence or? Yeah, well, I think anyone can. I mean, and again, I can. I can use stand up as an example. I mean, I'm a massive believer that anyone can do stand-up like it is literally it's it's about it's a case it's the Mal malcolm gladwell thing of putting in ten thousand hours yeah. like anyone can do it and to my mind i look at other jobs that i think i could never i look at a, a mechanic and i think i could never yeah. i cannot understand how you can fix a car now maybe if i studied for ten thousand hours i would learn that craft maybe mm -hmm. um but I, I i don't think so but maybe i could similarly people often think that they couldn't do comedy but it really is just a case of how many times are you willing to get up on stage and yeah. get booed off until you... Um, and there's all these different benchmarks. I mean, I remember asking Jimmy Carr early on, when I first started out, like, what advice do you have? And he was just like, gig, 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 like, just mm. get up there. And I read Will Fell said something about how he, uh, when he started out, he did 100 gigs and someone said, okay, now you're at zero because it takes 100 just to even feel comfortable on a stage. Now mm. you're at zero. Um, similarly. Uh, Chris Rock said that it takes 10 years to get um, good at, is that right? Oh, yeah, it's funny. What did that do? It kind of, oh, it ended, then it went back oh, to the yeah, beginning. Oh, yeah, it's just so sliding clever. over I the like next it. page. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. What a new page. Chapter two. I've only, uh, this is our, what, 78th podcast. Wow. One time it just stopped randomly. Oh, really? But, uh, and because that, I'm always just checking, it, oh, it, what's going on? Yeah, it only there? takes one time yeah. to yeah. be concerned. But. It's, a, it's a terrifying thing. Um, yeah. The, um, <laughs> Because a lot of podcasts have their producer off to the side monitoring that, but I'm just the little head turns. Right, right. Out. But it's funny, actually, funny I mentioned Will Ferrell there. Um, again, I guess, well, I'll finish what I was saying, but, but basically just that Chris Rock says that, you know, it takes 10 years yeah. to get even remotely good at stand-up. And it's, so my, I guess my point is, is that it's really a, a game of like, if you are willing to keep going, keep getting on that stage, and eventually you will get good. Mm -hmm. um, because nothing about my childhood or upbringing or uh, anything throughout my life, I've never been the class clown, never been competent in social situations, never, uh, nothing about me suggested. It was literally just a case of, okay, I'm obsessed with this art form and yeah. I want to keep doing it. Um, but uh, I remember a friend of mine at GQ uh, <laughs> once had the most amazing, people always ask, whenever I, record interviews, I always have the, the digital recorder, but also I record on cassette tape as well. Yeah, people are yeah. looking at this cassette like, oh my God, that's so old school. <laughs> yeah. I say, yeah, it's simple because uh, this guy came back, the guy I worked with at GQ came out from LA with like, he said, oh my God, I just had the best like three hour interview with Will Ferrell. It was like all over the place, completely freewheeling, like absolute insanity, cannot wait to get this down. Gives it to an intern to transcribe. Intern presses the wrong button, whole thing gone. Nightmare. And yeah, uh, and and he, he just the look on his face, and he, I mean, he never got over it. And of course, he couldn't, he couldn't phone up the publicist and say, "I lost the interview." So he basically had to just kind of craft. And he, what he had was the most, you know, uh, on that tape, on, on that on that digital track, he had the most kind of uh, electric interview. But so, but then he had to essentially construct a fake interview using the most innocuous random like it's a real honor to work with mark Wahlberg. just any quote that they wouldn't oh, question yeah um because he had no 
anyway, I just after that happened, I thought, you know what? There's a reason to embrace the the cassette tape. Like in order to delete three hour interview on cassette tape, you would have to sit and watch that thing go round yeah, and round and effort. round for three hours. You'd have to turn it over, <laughs> press record. Yeah. Like you would literally have to go over three hours watching that go around to lose it. A digital dictaphone, one button gone. So uh, this yeah. is progress. Yeah, yeah. We're doing okay here. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah, we're safe, we're safe hands here. You're a person. You know what you're doing. You mentioned earlier when you're preparing for a show that you were watching video or listening to tape of the the last time you're there, so you don't repeat yourself. Yeah, now that's a crazy thing where you can't do your hit material essentially. Good. Where a musician. You go to a place and people want to hear yeah. your hits. Yeah. And in comedy, if you go somewhere and do a joke that they know, they're upset because they know how it's going to end. Totally. It's the it's the weirdest thing. It's literally opposite. It's, mm -hmm. you know, the one complaint you see about comedians online, generally, when someone's gone to see their favorite comedian, is that they'd heard the same joke again. Or yeah. And yet, you know, someone goes to see the Rolling Stones, uh, they want to hear the great, the, the classics, the the 30, 40, 50, 60 year old songs. Yeah. The second the Rolling Stone says, here's a new one, <laughs> yeah. everyone pisses off to the yeah. bar. Right? Oh, yeah. I don't want to hear this. No yeah. one's interested in you. And yet, comedy is the polar opposite. No one wants to hear the old, they want to hear new, new, new all the time. And um, yeah, it's a really, really interesting thing where um, you'll uh, he, see these weird complaints. Like, again, when I went to see Bill Burr in, um, in, in Halifax. Yeah. Uh, few weeks ago and it was um, incredible and of course it was everyone was raving about how it was all new material but then I'd, I'd look online for other reviews of the tour and people would go and see him like twice in a month and complain it was the same material and mm. it's like it's twice and I've had this where someone came to see me at the Algonquin Resort in St Andrews maybe three four years ago and after the show she said can I ask how often you turn over new material and I'm like well it's once a year like pretty much every year I'll do a new and it and it Varies, of course, because of course, if you're if I'm like, last night, I did a corporate gig for the Nova Scotia Seafood Alliance. Now, for that, mm. most of them I know won't have seen me before. Um, uh, most of them probably never even heard of me. So, for that, I'm basically going through and going, okay, what's my best? What's the yeah. best 90 minutes I can give them? And that can be stuff that I've from the current tour, it can be stuff from 10 years ago. Yeah. It is simply the best corporate clean set. Whereas for yeah, theater shows, I'm yeah, meticulously keeping notes of what I do. Uh, even after the show, I'll take my set list and actually write out a separate list of what I actually ended up doing. Um, and I do do it with corporate gigs as well. I mean, I keep that detail. Next yeah. week, I'm doing a show in Niagara Falls for the uh, Power Union Workers of Ontario. And I yeah. did a gig for them in 2017. And of course, I'm coming back. Lots of the people will be the same. But the request was a whole new show. Yeah. Luckily, I have uh, have it written down. Now, of course, there's going to be bits that have grown and adapted and, yeah. you know, I'm sure there's odd bits that you could, but yes, for the most part, when people come, they want to see, but then the flip is occasionally, I'll have people come up to me, like, for example, if there's a bit that I did years ago that, that I, well, I'm kind of, I wouldn't say I'm known for, but anyone that knows, the few people that know what I do would know this bit where I do the joke about Maritime is giving directions and saying where things used to be. And yeah. I'd say of all the things that people come to me and say, if they come to me in the street, they'll say, you know, I, was, I thought of you last week, I was giving someone directions and I said, it's where Sears used to be or where Zellers used to be. And I thought of you. <laughs> um, and so quite often, so now I, I feel like I can't do that 
I can't do that joke. People know it. But then equally, when I don't do it, people come up and go, oh, I brought my friend tonight. I wanted them to see that joke uh, that you do about the... So it's somewhat of a no-win... A dilemma. Yeah, it's a dilemma. Which I, it's, and it's something that I think about all the time, where for the most part, like I love it when I do a show and afterwards the, the feedback online is... Um, been to see him three, four times. It's a whole new show. Like I, 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 yeah, new material's good. Like that, that, that makes me so happy because I do constantly live in fear of someone coming and going. I've seen it, heard it. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's, but then I guess just keeping those meticulous notes and mixing it up enough where um, and what's interesting in the last three years is of course this huge influx of people moving to uh, Atlantic Canada and moving to the Maritimes. Mm -hmm. Um. And people arriving and, and people are going, oh, you should go and see this. You know, if you're trying to navigate your way here, you should go and see this comedian. Um, so now, especially in New Brunswick, it used to be, I'd say pre-pandemic, everyone in an audience would probably have seen me once, twice, three times before. Now I'm finding that it's about split 50-50. Mm. So I'm having to kind of, I actually had this a couple of weeks ago where I discovered, well, actually last weekend, it happened at the Algonquin Resort, where I've been doing shows there every weekend for 10 years. Sorry, every uh, a weekend, once a year for ten years, and um, and generally I would walk on the stage. There'd be an air of familiarity with the audience, like you know me, I know you. I can you know start off quite, and I realised quite quickly that oh no, no one, most of this audience hasn't seen me. So it's, it mm. is a different. You approach a show differently when you open it when there's a familiarity. Mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. I, I guess it's the big difference between what i used to call like when if i you know i walk out on stage at a theater in the maritimes and it's my name above the door and people specifically come to see my show i i i obviously would enter that stage with a different aura that i would if i'm playing calgary yuck yucks and everyone in that audience has come to calgary yuck yucks doesn't matter who's playing they're just there yeah, and so how I enter that stage is a different way because mm -hmm. it's like okay, I need to win them over. Mm. I guess that's the difference. Is it's like, do I need to win over this crowd, or do they already are they already on board? Mm. And that's a, yeah, it's a very different, um, it's a different nuance, and it's a different performance when you walk out. Yeah, sure. Yeah, we've interviewed a lot of artists mm. on this podcast yeah. and come to learn that a lot of them will talk about. Their art form is for them, first mm. and foremost. It's more important that I make a painting that is meaningful to me than how it's received by an audience. Interesting. I see what you do. I don't even know if that's possible. That's a Unless very you're good telling question. yourself jokes in the mirror. I don't know. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, well, I guess so. My first instinct was that was that no, it's literally all for the audience. In the, you know, I might write, I was reading a um I think where Seinfeld was talking about how when he when he comes up with joke ideas in the afternoon and takes them to a club and his point that you know no one knows anything until you test it in front of an audience and invariably the stuff that he likes is the stuff that will get nothing and the stuff he doesn't think is very good will get the big laugh and the audience is king and and really like that's how I look at it that if I like a bit if it's not getting anything from the audience sometimes I might keep pushing and I might keep workshopping it and eventually get it somewhere but really if the audience is not liking it it's gone and if they are liking it then it stays so 
in all honesty, but yeah, which kind of makes um, it, comedy seem like almost, in some ways almost like the most needy of all the art forms because it's like all we care about is what the audience want. But but it's true because without the laughs, the show is it's just a man or person in a room talking. Yeah, it's just a it's, it's a just a schizophrenic person. almost. Yeah, exactly. It's just <laughs> someone standing on a stage talking at, at nothing. So there has to be the laughs. So it is all for them. That said, I won't. I need to be proud of the material. Mm-hmm. So, and by that, I guess I mean I don't think anything is too silly or anything is too. Um, and I, I'm I'm a believer that you can kind of laugh at anything you want privately. And I'm also I also do. In, but for me personally, for instance, I guess what what right, my concession to this would be that um, I personally wouldn't be comfortable. I wouldn't enjoy standing on stage. Um, getting laughs from um, people less fortunate than myself, or indeed, they, or indeed anyone else. I, I actually, but I, I, one of the things I take great pride in my stand-up is I'm the butt of every joke. Mm. Like there is no one I don't think could ever come. And and again, this is not to say there's anything wrong with comedy making people feel uncomfortable. And and comedians absolutely should be able to do whatever they want for me personally what i like because i take the responsibility so seriously that i cannot believe that i'm lucky enough to have people willing to come out get a babysitter buy a ticket come to a show i don't want a single person to leave feeling uncomfortable uh, or, or 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 you know hurt or so as a result um you know while my shows aren't certainly aren't clean no one is targeted except myself, mm-hmm. and um, and so I guess that would be my um concession that that's what that's the thing I do, f- f- I guess for me is, is that I I love that feeling of being able to leave going okay so someone someone might leave and say um, few too many f bombs or whatever else say but um but no one could leave and say my religion or the way I look or the way I whatever whatever however they identify was in any way um offended mm-hmm. and again nothing wrong with again i mean and again i have uh i like a lot of offensive comedy mm-hmm. um and so i'm certainly not someone that thinks that comedians shouldn't be allowed to say what they want to say but just for me personally i like knowing that everyone is going to leave feeling good and everyone has a style like and that's that's your style that's my style yeah. that's it that's my style uh, and i'm someone that likes um you know uh I like different styles of comedy, and often there's no rhyme nor reason. I mean, the great thing about com- comedy and laughter is it's an, an involuntary reaction, which is why I always find it a um a weird thing when people say it's the weirdest thing when people say of a professional comedian that person's not funny, and it's like no, no, you mean you don't find them funny mm-hmm. because if they weren't funny, they they wouldn't they wouldn't there wouldn't be thousands of people laughing every night. Mm-hmm. Like it's the weirdest thing when people have that subjective thing or indeed with any art form is that that's not good art and that's not good musical. That's not good comedy. So no, no, you mean you don't like it, which is totally fine. Yeah. But you can't say it's not. And um, so, yeah. And, and, and I mean, there's often no rhyme, no reason to what we find funny. I mean, I, I mentioned Bill Burr before. I mean, I, I love his, his comedy. I don't agree with half of what he says, but I don't need to. I find it hilarious. I don't even know if he, uh, believes in what mm-hmm. he's saying, but at that that amazing show a few weeks ago on Halifax uh, Citadel Hill, there was you know eleven thousand people out there, and it was the strangest thing. We were my wife and I were at a table laughing our backsides off. There was a, a couple at the table 
oddly giving us dirty looks for laughing at things. I just thought, this is the weirdest. And then another couple. Why are they there? Right? Why are they there? How did you end up? I can only assume it's like sponsors tickets. Like, yeah. but, but you would think if you're going to a show, you would Google the artist yeah. you're going to see. But weirdest thing. And then, the, and then a couple on the table next to us walked out. So again, it can only be sponsored. It's no one spending 250 yeah. bucks on a ticket and then walking out to 10 minutes. And I found it the strangest thing because I'm thinking, like, no one has any idea. And again, no one should be judging anyone anyway on 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 what they think or their political beliefs or, mm. or their opinions. But to be sat there laughing at things that, again, we might not uh, agree with, but we're just there releasing a laugh. And to people judging, sitting there, look, giving us like evils for laughing. Oh, mm. that, you shouldn't be laughing at that. Weirdest thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah. So I guess to, to answer your question, uh, Kristen, that, that would be my thing. That's the thing that's, that's definitely for me is is knowing that, um, knowing there's no one walking out feeling like, oh, I wish he hadn't said that about my group of people. Mm -hmm. Today's episode is brought to you by the amazing Wilson's Coastal Club. This resort has eight cottages, ranging from bachelor to three-bedroom units, so you can take the whole family along, including your fur babies. Dogs are welcome. Mallory and Kyle, the owners, are two awesome people who have created the perfect getaway for you. And we've stayed there ourselves, and, you know, we felt like two little kids on vacation. This hidden gem is right on the ocean. They've got a private beach with loungers for all of their guests, e-bikes, and all of the water sports like stand-up paddle boards, kayaking, swimming, and the ambient sound of the waves. A lot of wildlife there, too. Loons. Ducks. Seals. Cranes. Deer. Bunnies. And more bunnies! Woo! <laughs> As if this place wasn't awesome enough, they're also offering fitness classes on the beach, wellness retreats, and meditation workshops. Wilson's Coastal Club is open all year round. And if you're worried about the Nova Scotia winter nipping at your nose, don't fret, they've got you covered. They're offering Canadian-made cedar wood-fired hot tubs and oceanfront 10-foot red cedar panoramic view barrel saunas coming this fall. Located at 7532 St. Margaret's Bay Road in Bootlears Point, Nova Scotia, you can book your stay at wilsonscoastalclub.com. And if you book before October 30th and use the discount code Mike and Kristen, you'll receive 15% off your stay. Woo! Private beach! Bonfires! Whoa, good times in the maritime! S'mores! We were talking recently, I don't know, driving home from somewhere and having a sort of serious conversation about woke culture. Mm. And the reception now, even versus maybe two years ago, like you're seeing a little bit of a a shift here in openness of conversation, whatever, however you feel about this, this culture. Yeah. But our comments were, oh, well, we're starting to see comedians talk about this in a new way. Yes. And for us, that sort of represented this new benchmark of, okay, people, people quote, comedians mm. are talking about this in a more open way than yeah. we were a couple of years ago. And for us, that meant there was a shift in our culture. So there's a lot of power to be held in people that are willing to be allegedly offensive. True. And and it's it's a it's fascinating. I mean I mean Twitter is the, just the weirdest place right now because you've got these two warring factions. You've got uh people who proudly subscribe themselves to woke, which again and and again wokeism it was obviously born out of a 
good thing in that mm. it is born out of uh, just wanting to be nice to people. Um, but then, you know, some would say it's become, there's extreme elements to it now, again, and that falls into the, the whole concept of cancel culture. And then you've got people on the other side complaining, uh, you know, the, the, the woke culture's gone mad and that everyone's being cancelled. And yet, meanwhile, you know, have people been cancelled? I mean, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, people, there have been people cancelled, but the big examples have not been. Like they, Dave Chappelle was not cancelled. He said yeah. what he wanted to say. There was objections to it, but he hasn't been cancelled. Donald, Donald it, Trump wasn't even cancelled. Donald Trump was, Donald, Donald Trump's probably going to be president again. Probably I mean, he yeah. president again. Like, like how, like, it, it feels like, how, you know, yeah, I mean, and, and Louis C.K., again, I mean, again, did a, a, a deplorable thing, uh, should obviously have to uh, atone for it. Whether he did or didn't is still open for all this debate. There's people that say he was cancelled, and there's other people that say, well, no, he wasn't because he won a Grammy and is playing Madison Square Garden. Mm -hmm. And and, and it's, what's just weird is, is this, is this um, constant arguing or this kind of war of like, of, of like you know, um, People wanting to cancel people, and then people on the other side saying, uh, "You," and then people saying cancel culture isn't real, and it's all just it all it's all just noise, yeah. and it's all just a, a, a distraction. Um, that said, there's obviously a a worrying trend of, and I guess this is the thing is that you know when we're talking about cancel culture, we often talk about the superstars, the people who are essentially untouchable. Um, whereas there are people that you read about who are in certain jobs actually i was picked up on this by a uh wouldn't even be a, a, a millennial i think it was a gen z uh gen zia and i guess i was trying to whereas around a dinner table and i was saying you know we kind of the, the can people argue about cancel culture and the um and that you know you can't say anything but yet you can i was saying you can say anything because you know, watch any ricky gervais special and they're saying whatever they want mm -hmm. and um a 19 20 year old girl uh picked me up on it and she said she said but you're talking about like the untouchables there she said the fact is she said you're not where we are now where we're in starting jobs in boardrooms in university classes where you can't say what you want to say and i thought well wow, that's interesting there's me as as a 45 year old uh gen xer trying to sound all woke and actually there's someone 25 years younger than me mm. saying um actually we are you know we're coming we are we are in the in the early stages of our career and we actually can't say what we think in certain environments so um i guess that i guess the point is is we should all be actually listening to these younger people's experiences because right now the debate seems to be being raised between uh generally old white men and uh i think it's time for us to listen to the it's the younger people um yeah. because but it's it's a weird thing because you see this as i say it's just this war of words and i don't really see what the answer is and i and i don't really i guess i don't have um strong opinions either way other than um going around upsetting people isn't top of my list of things to mm -hmm. do mm -hmm. and some people seem to really enjoy doing that um and i i didn't didn't enjoy it when people wanted to upset me when i was a kid and i now as an adult don't enjoy upsetting other people simple as that you like to see people happy at your that's shows. it that's like, exactly it that's I, not a bad thing it's not a bad thing <laughs> I, I i like to, i like the room to be literally full of joy yeah and again i mean full, full hats off to to the uh to all the comedians out there that you know you know uh, want to do something different 
which is a wonderful thing and or or want to create uh, attention in the room great uh do it mm-hmm. or, or 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 say what you want to say to make everyone laugh uh everyone has their own way and that's my way yeah you said when you were a kid you weren't necessarily the class clown mm-hmm. or needing to be the center of attention did you um, at that point in your life see yourself following a different career path yeah i mean i i de- definitely never saw this i mean i i definitely dreamed of this mm. but it was never a reality like i mean i i was you know uh you know not well not academic or, or athletic and and very kind of socially awkward didn't really have many friends i mean sp- spent my whole childhood watching and listening to comedy cassette tapes watching comedy videos listening to comedy records and i think it was only when in my teens i started reading autobiographies of comedians and i'm like wow these people seem to be as weird as me but do this ridiculous job how do they how do they reconcile this kind of social anxiety with walking out on a stage. So I became fascinated with it as a concept, but never thought in a million years that, that I would ever be able to do it. And and to be honest, that um that appreciation and excitement I, I still have every day. Like I never, never stop appreciating, as I as I know no you both do. Like to, the 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 thought of ever being able to make a living and support ourselves in an artistic field mm-hmm. is such an absurd pipe dream, which is mm-hmm. why kind of when people are always like, oh, what's the, you know, what's your, what's your dream? And I'm like, this, this was it. This was literally mm. it, you know, uh, which is already a ridiculous pipe dream. Like if you're a young, if you're a young person and your dream is to make a living in any type of creative field, that is a pipe dream like it's 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 still it's a million to one i don't know i mean how many people decide as a child that they want to uh, be an artist of some capacity i'm assuming that the stats are almost as unlikely as becoming you know the next adam sandler or becoming and it's like i mean it's mm-hmm. it's it's near impossible so the fact that we, we we found a way to be able to do it was always the end game so when people say what's the next what's the goal what's the 10-year plan i'm like to somehow sustain this yeah. because yes. j- just to be able to do this what we do in a week month year 10 years that's hard enough um so the thought of anything else so it's like yeah well what do i want it to look like in 10 years i want to be doing the exact same thing and if already i mean i'm doing way more than i thought i would be living in the maritimes i mean this is you know in, in this month month of um september i have 19 gigs in 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 four different provinces along with other you know along with producing a magazine doing Mm -hmm. all this other stuff i'm writing a second but all those things but to have that many gigs and i never always wanting to squeeze in as many more fun things as possible yesterday morning you know did a tv thing at 8am and then at 8 30 last night was on stage doing a 90 minute set and of course when i realized i was here and i had this window and we've been trying to make this this sit down together happen for ages upwards of a year maybe even 18 months I got in touch and said to you guys, like, you know, any chance you can, we can do this now. And and yeah. it's because this is all fun, right? Yeah. We feel the same way. And yeah. it's actually recently we've had some younger artists come into our life, be it through the podcast or mentorship that Mike is doing, who have reminded us of, because of where they are in their stage of life and us as two artists living under one roof, making a go at it yeah they see us from a different perspective than we're able to see ourselves Interesting. and it's been such an important reminder about you know what like it is pretty amazing that although the desire for growth is still there mm. where we're at if this stays status quo forever we're still pretty 
freaking fortunate right. that we get to just do this as a job. Yeah. But so, yeah, there's desire to to keep going and and to diversify, which is something I wanted to ask you about as well because you're not just doing stand up. Like you said, you're you're editing a magazine that is wildly successful. You've written a book that has done so well and you're you're keeping this going. Is that about maintaining a livelihood or is this just creative ideas that you need to express? Good point. I guess there I guess but yeah, they're all things that we want to do and it's not I guess it yeah, it definitely was it wasn't uh it wasn't a, a thought process of like, okay, we need to do this in order to stay uh, relevant or keep going or or any one of those things. But um, actually, one thing I was going to ask you was regarding the art, uh, the younger artists. So mm -hmm. for them, th are they kind of aware of the fact that they that for them it's like, okay, you know, please God, can this keep going? Like they they they're having it probably drilled into their heads by friends and family that this might just be till you're 25 and then you need to get a job working for Irving. Or... I think that's just it. I think I know you and I, right. well, maybe less so you because your parents were like, you can be an NBA star. And my <laughs> parents were like, no, yes. which yeah. out of love and yeah. practicality would they have said, you know, it is a one in a million shot that you'll succeed in this. Yeah. But I, I see the younger artists who have come into our life, I would say have the family support, but are still influenced by this cultural narrative that right. you know this is going to be the hardest thing you're probably going to fail you're probably going to be poor yeah. all of that it's part of why we wanted to start this podcast and interview creative people to say like it doesn't have to be that way you don't have to be a starving artist you don't have to Absolutely. fit into this stereotype and i guess that's the interesting thing and this is why it's so great what you do because again i mean unlike anywhere else in the world the Maritimes has this, it, it's all grassroots. And I guess this is the the thing. So I guess to answer your question, I mean, starting the magazine was definitely born out of like, why isn't there one? Mm -hmm. And there's, I'm sure the same reason that you started the podcast. It's like, why isn't there a magazine that accurately reflects uh, the beautiful things in the Maritimes? How can we showcase it to the rest of Canada? How can we make Maritimes proud? Also from a business perspective, it was like, there isn't this. There could be, and there should be, and there would be a demand for it. How do brands reach people? So, so it was um, both. It was we wanted this thing to exist, but mm -hmm. of course, the business um, and writing the book. I mean, that was an approach from the publishers to do that. Always wanted to do it, um, and it wasn't. It wasn't planned this way, but it has definitely opened me up to a whole different audience. In that, I've had tons of people come up to me after shows saying. Either I hadn't heard of you, but I went in a bookshop and saw your book on display and someone said, oh, you would enjoy this. And I read it. And now I've now I've bought a ticket to come and see you. Also, people saying that they'd I get this message a lot. They say, you know, I'd heard of this, of the the comedian that moved to St. John and loves it here. But, you know, I don't really like comedy. So I've never really looked, looked you up, you know, looked you up, um, read the book saw a different side to you or you know learned something so uh, so it, it's definitely kind of broadened the audience of, of, of people of you know people coming to shows but i guess the fascinating thing here is that there isn't there isn't these shortcuts there's no back room like you know and i know it's not easy anywhere in performing arts but like you know in big cities like toronto new york and london you know if you're a musician or a comedian you sign with the right agent or sign with the right person, uh, they can make backdoor deals. It could be, okay, you know, you're represented by the same comedy agent that represents Bill Burr. Okay, Jimmy Kimmel, if you want Bill Burr, you need to hire, you need to have my up-and-coming comedian on the show mm. 
for this. Uh, you sign with a big a music agent, they get you to open for someone big and you can build your following that way. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the Maritimes, there's none of that. It's literally just word of mouth, popularity, and, and indeed all of us having to learn the business side ourselves. How can we manage, um, you know, like the, the, the popularity of the Town Heroes was built up uh, through hard work and also organically and it's yeah. grassroots and it's real. You know, there's no there's no secret trick there. There was no like, oh well, we we hired this publicist and then boom, or this manager mm -hmm. did this. Like you guys went out, you hit the ground uh, running. You know, you, you you did gigs, people loved them, and and it's and it's real, and that's why it feels so nice when we are successful, when we fill a venue, because it's like, oh, no one fate. This wasn't like because I had Live Nation behind me spending right. yeah. tens of thousands of dollars on marketing. The reason the theatre in Annapolis Royal is full tonight is simply. A word of mouth, yeah. Um, which is everything, but 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 it's interesting that how you have to do have to learn this business side and push things yourself. Word of mouth and yourself driving the yourself driving around, even yeah. in every and it's way. Really hard <laughs> because it feels. Um, well, also is that thing that doesn't come naturally, where it feels almost egotistical to be constantly pushing, like come to my show and yes. and here's me yeah. on this, and you film embarrassed doing it and you feel like you know oh god this is undignified but then you think well you know what what's undignified me wanting people to know that i'm doing a show because if they don't know they can't come or or what's really undignified is 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 ryan gosling or bill burr paying someone a hundred thousand dollars a month to promote their stuff and to say hey this person's amazing blah 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 blah. which is more undignified I, I i actually think it's more undignified just to be that rich that you pay someone to tell everyone how amazing you are <laughs> yeah. I, I, I i think i would rather just uh you know if it's undignified for me to be posting a bit too often on social media saying hey i'm doing a show i need to cover the costs and make mm. a bit of money so i can feed my kids yeah um don't come if you don't want but do come if you do yeah. uh th that's what it is but 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 you do feel like um you do feel like a bit of a whore sometimes having to constantly push yourself and you feel embarrassed doing it. Um, but as I say, I think it's slightly more dignified. And it's weird. Like I remember there was this British thing on the British comedy scene where it's like, it's, it's undignified to retweet praise, right? So when someone, you know, tweets, you know, hey, went to see, you know, at so-and-so last night, great show. It was seen as highly undignified to retweet that. And I think, well, well why? Like, if you're retweeting that it, it's because you don't have a publicist you, mm. you you're at the bottom rung uh and you're you're simply sharing it as like hey here's a testimonial i think that again is more dignified than someone paying someone so much money so that they can uh you know convince the new york times or the global mail to come and review their show and give them a positive one and then the publicist then then shares it so to my mind, same with movies. I mean, again, like if 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 The Rock, if The Rock is spending up, upwards of a million, a few million dollars a year paying someone to tell everyone how great he is, I think us as lowly artists can we can we can share make a couple two of posts. posts a week about a show. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so grateful that you've talked about this because it's it's relatable. It's something we too are like, oh my God, like I'm I'm almost sick of myself. Right. That's how I feel about myself. And I and feel like other we people, all do, I right. think. But but yeah, what choice do we have? And really if somebody's saying something nice about me, I'm I'm the first to tell people like 
Right. James said this nice thing about me today. I want you to know about it. Part maybe for my own ego, but it's it's hard enough what we do yeah. that I'm willing to accept those moments because they're only moments. They're only moments. Of praise if and when they come along. Absolutely. Also, crucially, no one is going to do it for No, us. you don't have a boss mm. that's going to give you employee of the no, month. So. No, there's no. We also don't have like, you know, it's absolutely insane. And people cannot get their hands around this when I try and explain to them in England that we have no national newspapers in Atlantic Canada. The fact that yeah. five years ago, <laughs> the two national newspapers said, yeah, we're not distributing to Atlantic Canada, we're not delivering, you can't order it, you can't subscribe, you can't, you're just not, you're not having it. Yeah, and you don't need to know. You don't need to know. You guys don't need to know anything about anything. <laughs> and the fact that we all went, yeah, uh, okay. When we, and then I was back in England uh, two weeks ago, traveling around um, all kinds of small towns, different places, towns with populations of 3,000 people. Every single town, and you can't walk five minutes based in England without coming across a corner shop that sells, I kid you not, about 12 to 15 daily newspapers. Mm. 15, the same 15 newspapers that existed when I was a child are all still growing. Going, Maybe they're not thriving, but they exist. In print. Mm. In print. Mm -hmm. They're all thick. Uh, they're, they're filled with, with news and ads. You have a choice of 12 to 15 newspapers every single day. And for five years in Atlantic Canada, we've had none. Now, granted, the reason that they they would say they don't deliver here is because we didn't buy it. But the reason that, that none of us used to buy it is because they didn't review or write about anything east of Quebec. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. So we've never really had a national newspaper. And of course, we had, you know, in, in New Brunswick, we had the Telegraph Journal, which now comes out, I think, every three days is now a pamphlet. Um Obviously, the Chronicle Held is is great, and um, but that does continue to get smaller. So mm. we're in this bizarre scenario where there's not only is there nothing, and and thank God again for you know for for what you guys do, and I know this is why you do this, and it supports artists, and it, it supports so many creatives in this. Um, again, I mean, you know, and it's very kind of places like CTV and Global News to to promote uh, local artists. But we, it's already hard here that it, doing what we do in this region. Yeah. There's there's less population. There's less everything, and uh, there's less spotlight. And on top of it, we have no outlet to, which is again partly why we, um, partly why we started the the Mount was yeah. to kind of go, okay, well, we're gonna, if uh, if it's not happening, uh, we will create it. That was basically a part of our ethos when we moved here was. We said, we know it's going to be different there. We know there's going to be uh, differences to our lives living in the Maritimes to living in London, but we're not going to complain about it. If something doesn't exist that we want to exist, we'll just create it. And that was the, the kind of ethos of coming here. You, you talked about reading these biographies on the comedians and kind of becoming fascinated with them. And now you're one of the most successful comedians in the nation. You've got all these amazing things going. What was the first step in the process to actually becoming a comedian? Um, it was, it, funny enough, it was, well, there was, there was two, kind of two moments. It was, I wanted to do it for years. And then when I started working, like having left university, I was really craving wanting to do it and just didn't have the confidence, didn't have the... Um, impetus and and just was terrified of it and and mm -hmm. basically started to get quite depressed that i wasn't doing it and it was the weirdest and most pathetic thing to be depressed for not even trying a thing 
Mm. Like a bit mm. like the person that complains they never win the lottery, but they don't buy a ticket. Yeah, yeah. And and it was and it was anyway, it was a weirdly, it was a chance meet a chance encounter. Uh in two thousand and four. So I was I guess in my kind of mid twenties and I came to St. John for Christmas to see my then girlfriend, now wife's uh, family. Yeah. And on New Year's Eve, we went to a dinner theatre on Water Street uh, in St. John. It was just a New Year's Eve dinner theatre show. And it was just, I was just blown away. Like we sat there and this, this amazing, talented cast, uh, you know, they're singing, they're dancing, they're telling jokes, they're entertaining us, they're bringing us our food. I'm like, oh my, and, and I was just incredibly entertained. Yeah. Um, but then also overcome with this overwhelming jealousy of like, oh my God, I can't believe these people, whatever they do during the day, whatever they, whatever their home life's like, whatever they do at school, whatever their working job's like, whatever it is they do during the day, at night they are the stars of the stage. And I was mm -hmm. so jealous that they got to do this. Mm -hmm. Also, I mean, now looking back, very in awe of like, all I have to do is tell jokes. The fact that these, the fact that when you do dinner theater, you have to sing, be funny, mm -hmm. act, uh, and get the food to the tables on time and make <laughs> yeah, sure yeah. The, the pints are filled up. I mean, it's an incredible skill set. Yeah. Um, but, and, and I remember, and anyway, I was watching this thing and I became very frustrated with myself for being jealous because I thought, how dare I be jealous when I'm not even trying? And and to me, they were just heroes, which is really like, if you want to be uh, an artist of any capacity, it's why I get frustrated watching shows like X Factor or American Idol because, you know, people people get down to the final 10 and they say things like, uh, you know, if I don't win this, my life's over. And I'm thinking, mm -hmm. we well, don't want to be a singer then. You just mm -hmm. want to be famous because yeah. you make the last 10 or the last five of, of, of American Idol, you can make a good living playing, you know, cruise ships, Boston pizzas, whatever else. You can, this, that is a good, you can make a good yeah. living at doing it and even if even if you don't make the final ten, you can still make a good living. But you don't actually want that, do you? You just want to be famous. Mm -hmm. So it's all or nothing. It's like I win and I'm famous, yeah. or forget it all. Whereas for I think the rest of us, we just want to perform. And to me, it doesn't matter how big or small the stage is. I always feel I could be in the middle of the woods in a in in as I was a few weeks ago at Crab Mountain Inn in in a place called the Tongue and Groove. Uh, playing to 40 people during a power cut and I literally felt like the happiest person alive. I'm living the dream, uh -huh. doing the job I love. Doesn't matter if I'm that or 5,000 people, it's all the dream. So anyway, um, I, I became very jealous and I made a pact that night, the New yeah. Year's Eve 2004, that I would do my first gig that year and it still took me five months but weirdly the next day so the next day New Year's Day we were flying back and I, we had a stop off in Munich I think it was and there was a voicemail on my phone from my oldest and best friend school friend Julian saying Mullinger I've signed us up for a stand up comedy course the same one that his friend had done and he'd mm. become a comedian and, and of course I mean the thing with comedy courses is you can't teach stand up but what you can teach is you can give people the confidence to get up on the stage and mm -hmm. these classes they were brilliant it was run it was called the Amused, Amused Moose comedy course it was run by a comedian called Logan Murray and organised by a promoter called Hills Jago and the genius of what they did was give you the confidence so you would things like you'd sit around in a circle and he would tell you to make a list of things you don't like from that week and you would and then you would make it list, and you would just read them out to the class and people would laugh and you go oh that was easy and it would and so he would basically use various tricks and things and 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 techniques to make you ultimately at the end of the course so in may that year i did my first gig and wasn't as awful as i thought it would be and then 
did hmm. many more and they were as bad if not worse as i thought they were being just got hooked and and followed that path of just doing as many gigs as possible and it's funny when you start out because of course when you say to your partner you know hey i'm gonna become a stand-up and they go oh well that kind of sucks i'm like yeah you know we don't see much of each other Shoot. now yeah <laughs> You know, we don't we see each other very rarely now, but now it's going to be even less. And they go, oh, well, at least we'll have some more money coming in. No, 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 no. We'll have a lot less. Because <laughs> yeah. for 10 years, I'm going to be literally paying to work. I'm going to be taking a £70 train journey up north, paying £100 to stay in a hotel or sleeping on a train platform. So every time I come home, we'll be a couple of hundred pounds down. And if you think I'm depressed now... Wait till you see me after being booed <laughs> off stage. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's it's weird when you go through all that and then you come out the other end and now, you know, not only, you know, am I able to, you know, um, feed a family doing it, which again feels like a ridiculous pipe dream mm. to feed a family telling silly jokes. Yeah. But to make a good living out of it is just, um, yeah, crazy. And I still, still can't believe it. I never, I knew your story, but I didn't know that part of the spark happened in St. John. That's, right. uh, because your story is the, the British guy who comes over to New Brunswick. I, I didn't know that this little part of it happened beforehand, which is kind of all the more intriguing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, mm. yeah, well, I guess, and it was, uh, that would, that moment was almost 10 years before we moved. Yeah. And then there was all these other moments along the way that, like, for example, I mean, I think I was, we came, it must have been on a visit in about 2009. And we got to my wife's parents' place on the Kingston Peninsula, which is kind of as rural as rural gets, middle of nowhere. They don't like outsiders, so they refuse to have a bridge. There's just a ferry boat to get you there. <laughs> and um, we arrived and my father-in-law said, uh, you know, there's a comedy festival in St. John this this week. And I was thinking, bollocks, like, you know. Is there a farmer in a field telling a joke? And and, and I look, I'm like, wow, it, it actually is. And yeah. basically, it was the Canadian Comedy Awards, and they would do it in a different city each year. Basically, a city could buy into it. Like, they would pay mm-hmm. a couple hundred grand or whatever to have the festival there. Anyway, so we went to all these shows. And long story short, I saw all these big-name comedians in this tiny a bar called the Mason Jar in Sussex, New Brunswick. And I was like, oh, oh. Yeah. I played there. Oh, before. no way. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think it's closed now. Isn't it has. It? Yeah, yeah. Well, it burned down, right? No. And then it got moved to a There's two locations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I played both. Yeah. Terry, um, I'm trying to think, <laughs> the, 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 the owners, great people, uh, Tyler and Terry, I think it was. <laughs> Tyler and Terry Mason. And um, great place, right? Yeah, great atmosphere. Yeah. And so I thought, oh, well, next year I should do a show there. And my, my mother-in-law went out and sold tickets door-to-door and yeah. <laughs> sold out a couple of shows. And we so did the shows. And it was weird. Those were, the, and this was kind of 2008, 2009, 2010. And the, the realization, that, oh, wow, comedy can work here. You can do this here. And I really, that was the kind of, again, the spark of like, could you build that from here? Mm-hmm. And again, I had lots of help from comedians here. Uh, yeah friend of mine, the late Lloyd Raven, who who lived in Sussex, who again built up a comedy uh, industry here, essentially. Yeah. But it was essentially realizing that, and that was really the thing where I moved to. It was like, okay, so once a year I can come and do a show and people are like, oh, there's this, there's the, there's this English performing town we should go and see him. Yeah. How do you build that into a thing where, and that was really the main goal when getting here, was like, okay, how do you take it from, oh, there's a, there's a comedy show to, 
creating a system whereby people are go actually have comedy as their as as their list of options for the weekend, which mm. I don't think was there before. Where someone goes, okay, what should we do this weekend? Should we go bowling? Should we go zip lining? Should we go see comedy? Like just informing people that comedy is now a thing and it's here to stay and and seek out because mm. that's that's the thing is you need people to seek it out because. Again, there's no bloody newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> I want to bring this back to glory holes. Uh, yes, good point. Yes, we so, should go full circle, so to speak, as as all glory holes should be. They should be a very clean circle. There should be no shards of yeah. uh, splinter. Don't want to splinter. You definitely don't want splinters. Splinters. Uh, this Getting a bad visual here. Um, so what you mentioned uh, when they went to that pub in London and that guy came out and he was so excited about it. Canadians love to just be when other people point out things about us, we seem to really like that. And I don't know if it's just because we get we have the attention and we're really excited that someone's talking about us or thinking about us. How how important has that like capitalizing on that, especially the Maritimes, even more so? Yeah. Like you're this outsider, not not a negative way, but, yeah, but yes. someone from elsewhere coming and you're able to point out these things about us that maybe we haven't been able to recognize ourselves and i think you probably obviously realize that that yeah we we are we are people who who, who like that we attention. like being made fun of yeah yeah in a nice way true yeah. but but i i mean i would say how important is it i mean i would say a hundred percent like to the yeah. extent that like it's almost like my entire act mm -hmm. right down to the fact that I don't know what I would do now if I had to go back to the UK and do an hour. I mean, I w would figure it out, but I wouldn't have, I don't have an act that would work really anywhere else in Canada right yeah. now mm -hmm. uh, in that it's become all about that. I'm also hugely blessed with the fact that, that Canadians and especially Maritimers, as you say, like being talked about like and and crucially can take a joke because there's also places in the world where especially in england you turn up at a town and you take the mickey out of a town they will take it offensively mm -hmm. and i think part of it is that in the maritimes people have grown up around camp culture and cottage life and being in the woods and essentially that piss taking roasting uh, thing where people can take a joke and by that rationale, I mean, the best I can say is, is the towns that I give it to hardest, I sell out the quickest. <laughs> yeah. Like I would say my, the, one of the places I would say I could probably, without, you know, exaggerating, I could probably, if I, if I decided like a weekly residency at a venue in Sussex, New Brunswick, I could <laughs> yeah. probably sell it out. Almost, and I would say I give Sussex a way harder time than any other. Yeah. And, and it's because people can take a joke here. Yeah. Um, yeah. More so than anywhere else. Um, which is which is a, a wonderful thing, and and I think to a point about people liking. I, I am a I am an outsider. I am a fish out of water, mm -hmm. and really that's what a comedian is. A comedian is supposed to be a fish out of water. Is our job is noticing things, and how better to notice things as an outsider. Yeah. Um. So I feel that there's. I used to be jealous of North American comedians and and specifically Canadian comedians in London who could come and just point things out, and I'd be like, oh, I wish I could do that. But I think the realization mm -hmm. for me was. Quite early on, I did a joke about a ferry boat, the, uh, the ferry boat I mentioned before, and it got this huge laugh in St. John. It was I came with my British act and I did a couple of local reference jokes and they just blew the roof off. And I was mm. like, wow, people here seem to like 
jokes about <laughs> things from here. I should do more yeah. of that. And that's really how it's built up. Mm. And, and, and I mean, obviously, I can take it on the road across Canada. I can reference the East Coast. But then equally, a lot of what I say about here, I can flip it and make it about a small town in BC and it still yeah. works. Mm -hmm. um, because it's, it's not, it's a Canadian thing. Canadian small town thing. Yeah. I remember when I was growing up, uh, there was something happened in my hometown where this baseball coach, he, uh, they were on a road trip with the high school team and he let them smoke weed in the car. <laughs> like he didn't encourage, but he said, whatever, if they're going to smoke it, they smoke it. And this, like he got in a lot of trouble. Right. One of the other kids in the car reported him rat and that's a shitty kid yeah and so and so this got on the news and i remember like they were going around town interviewing people what their opinions were and no one in town really cared about the issue it was just like, oh look it's bobby's on the news yeah. like, it was yeah. just like no one cared that yeah this this story happened which is fairly controversial no one it, no it, one gave a shit yeah. it was just like oh look at us on the news yeah. on the, or the family exactly. that got caught smoking on the airplane yeah, yeah. and yeah. it was so now when you drive by that host in cape breton it's like that's that family that got caught and right. on the news again well that's it and part of that is, i guess that's one of the benefits here also is that people have very long memories like you can't yeah and i realized this quite quickly that people have met like in, in england no one remembers anything i mean you could do something deplorable on a on a work night out and the next morning everyone's like i've oh, forgotten and yet here yeah. everything is like if you're the person that gets their tongue stuck to a frozen pole you're that guy for and life you have a nickname yeah. For yeah. yeah that's you for forever and um but the good thing is also in this kind of grassroots organic real way of promoting you know you have a good gig uh people remember it you have a bad gig people remember so it does yeah. force people to be better it, it creates this very i mean the example i often use is like you know being a when people said to me you know oh you can't you can't do there's not much comedy in new brunswick and i'm like that's weird because you wouldn't say to a plumber there's no plumbers in that town don't go there if there's no plumbers yeah. there's a mm -hmm. lot of Toilets need unblocking, so why would you? And then similarly, mm. in in England, you can get away with being a bad plumber or comedian for a long time. There's enough you can you can you can mm. fake it. Uh, you know, like if a plumber floods someone's house in London, they could tell everyone they know, post it all over social media. That still won't reach not point not 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 one percent of the population of London. But if you flood a house in Hammond Plains or Russell New Brunswick <laughs> yeah. or Inverness, everyone yeah. knows oh, yeah. about it. It'll be it. in the newspaper. It will be yeah. in the newspaper. It'll be front page. Uh, everyone will be interviewing everyone around town. What do you think about the plumber? Yeah. Oh, he's a bad one. You know, you know. Uh, he, it, it all started when he uh, smoked cannabis in the back of that teacher's car back way back when, and it melted his brain, and now he can't not flood houses. Yeah. Uh, you know, it becomes a. Uh, so um, it's it's quite it's quite a nice and real thing. That uh, mm. people have long memories. You can't it keeps get you stuff. accountable, eh? Accountable. Yeah. That's exactly it. Everyone's kept accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to ask you: Who are your top five comedians of all time, and who's your goat? It's a good, good question. So it's. I mean, it's tricky. So I mean, I guess regarding my my goat, it would just have to be obviously personal because I don't believe yeah. in any such thing as. You oh know, yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, personal. yeah, and um. And, and it does also change all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, my favorite stand-up of all time is is someone that, again, lots of people wouldn't know here, but he's definitely the one that I grew up with. He's a, a comedian by the name of Frank Skinner, who yeah. is still working now. Uh, used to, he, he became 
very big quite quickly. He started late in life, like he'd lived a real life before he started doing stand-up. I guess in the... He's UK guy? Yeah, UK, yeah. yeah. 80s or 90s would have started. Now he's been going for 40 plus years. Yeah. Still, it's great. He blew me away growing up because he was... He would shuffle on, amble on stage, just looking like a normal and and somehow command a crowd of 2,000, 3,000 people in London Palladium, uh, come across very sweet and charming while discussing what seemed at the time to be the filthiest things. Mm. You know, he was the first comedian I saw to talk kind of at length about the 15-minute routine on anal sex, 15-minute mm. routine on um, masturbating with his finger up his bum, and, 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 and yet somehow came across very... It basically came across like a very, consp and I would say again, not deliberately, but I would say I, if I have ever emulated anyone, I would say his style of wanting to create an environment where, hey, we're all chatting at the pub. I'm going to let you in on this little secret, mm. even though there's thousands of people in there. Um, and he was my, he was the person I loved most growing up. The person I still kind of look up to most. He wrote one of the, probably the best book uh, alongside Steve Martin's Born Standing Up about stand-up comedy called On the Road, in which he, Frank, after many years goes, many years of becoming a big time chat show host, goes back to stand-up and in painstaking detail documents exactly what it takes and all the insecurities of performers mm -hmm. go, uh, going out on the road. Um, and I just, yeah, love everything about him. And he once... He once came to see me on the last night of a tour that I was doing and I absolutely bombed and it was mortifying. And I was, it was like, I knew <laughs> oh, this show no. inside out and it just was so Did humiliated. you know he was there? Yes, yeah. and that might be what did it. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, I got to interview him about, I think maybe it was about that book I just mentioned. And I made him laugh during the interview and I was like, okay, that's that, that demon of that disastrous show has been exercised so uh, i love i love him and there's really no one like him and to this day and he was back in the day seen as somewhat kind of laddish and by laddish i mean that kind of 90s you know thing that borderlined back then or was misunderstood to be somewhat misogynistic but was kind of that kind of men being men and men and a lot of what he did back then he now uh he retracts some of what he said and did back then um he's a very enlightened and thoughtful person recently came up revealed that he also is a is a uh church going catholic he's also started a poetry podcast which is weird from the guy that was the kind of the spokesperson for for football and wanking in the <laughs> 90s is now this but anyway fascinating to come in well worth checking out i yeah. still find it hilarious today um i mentioned bill burr i think i, I bill yeah. burr is definitely one of my favorites in the um i don't agree with most of what he says but i find it absolutely hilarious yeah. um my wife and i watch a lot of amy schumer i again mm -hmm. for similar reasons i absolutely just love uh i love her style i love the way that she uh can say the filthiest things and uh and make and and just uh, make it feel natural and charming yeah um again and i'm saying there's, there's a million more names but I, i'm shouting names chris rock is definitely someone that i mm -hmm. i remember watching um uh bigger and blacker and bring the bring the pain with my dad when i was you know very young and both of us just being blown away. Yeah. Saw him live a couple of times last year. I remember my wife and I dropping at, maybe it was this year when he dropped the, the, the new special on net, the, the live special. It was, yeah. it was the live stream. We dropped our kids off at Halifax airport. They were nine and 12 and put them on a plane from March break. I think it was put them on a plane to England to stay with my parents. And we raced back to watch, 
the Chris Rock live stream and just <laughs> yeah. sat there and just laughed. Uh, yeah, obviously. Um, and again, I mean, this is obviously stand-ups. I mean, in terms of uh, actor, you know, John Candy was always my favorite. Mm. Um, growing up, and one of the people that got made me want to do um, stand-up. But yeah, there's so many people that I that I love and adore. And there, and there's yeah. a lot that um, there's a lot of comedians who are extremely popular uh, who people absolutely love. Who I um, Mi oh, Mickey Flanagan is another British one who I, who is incredible. Who's a huge star there, and no one's uh, heard of him here. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also a lot which I. Um, Again, they're not very, who I absolutely uh, don't get. Um, mm. There was a lot of stand-ups that suddenly everyone's like, hey, have you got to see the new XYZ special? And I watch these comedians making uh, thousands of people laugh, and I'm like, I do not get mm. it at all. Mm. But again, that's the wonderful thing about um, uh, stand-up and indeed all art forms is uh, not everything's for everyone. Yeah. But I And I watch it, and I can, I, I can sometimes appreciate it, and sometimes I can yeah. watch it and not get it at all. Mm -hmm. But um, there are plenty of people who would say they don't get what I do at all. Um, but again, as long as uh, they're not in the audiences, doesn't matter. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you, really, yeah, you want the audiences to be the people, you know, who come out, who share the sense of view. And really that's the great thing. And the privilege that I will never, and, and I will never stop appreciating. And again, there's, there's variations of this in a performer's life. I mean, I do do a lot of corporate gigs where they're not there to see you. And they are harder work, but what I live for is nights like tonight when, uh, you know, it's a beautiful little theater in a beautiful small town. Mm. And, um, and you, for the most part, everyone is there. They, they've not been dragged kicking and screaming. They're mm. there because they, they, they like you and they're there to, to, to see what you do. And you, you've got to, you've got to deliver, but equally you are walking into a room where, uh, they're already invested emotionally and financially and uh, let's have some fun. Yeah. In those small towns, don't get a lot of big, right. big acts right. like yourself or just di different, different opportunities to go be entertained. So they're appreciative of someone like you going there. Well, like and I don't, I don't, I don't know if I'm, I wouldn't call myself big, but it's, but it's, but it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it, there's definitely a, a mutual love when we all yeah. walk in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Time-wise. Yeah. Time yeah. Speaking of which, uh, yeah, you have a sound I, check I, to I, get to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, We're all just checking the clock here, yeah. realizing that, uh, yeah, you better hit the road because it's a couple hours. But that said, we could keep you here for five more hours. So well, uh, we'd love to love... spend some more time with you when uh, when the chance comes again for us. The feeling is definitely mutual. And I would uh, love to come back. And this is, the great thing is, is that we can do uh, multiple uh of these and yes. yes likewise i could sit and talk to you both for for hours it's it's um as i say as you know i i listen to uh i listen to the podcast a lot i admire what you both do um obviously a, 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 a fan of the town heroes oh. so this is uh this has really been a a joy to be here and i can't thank you both enough for supporting east coast artists well, thanks for being who you are and yeah, as I mentioned earlier, that the, the, the highlighting and showcasing what Maritimers are, that's it's just a, a really nice nice thing and people all over really enjoy that and the, the way you do it in such a tasteful way is is amazing and and uh yeah, just wanna thank you for, for, for being who you are. Well that's really kind. Yeah. That's really kind. It means a lot and uh, right back at both of you. Where can people yeah. find your book? That's something that is out right now. Yeah, so it's um, I mean, it's available in uh, in for want of a better phrase, all good bookshops. I mean, if you have a bit, it, uh, it's available in a lot of the independents within the Maritimes. Yeah. Um, uh, so if you have a, a bookmark, or you know, if you're in Sackville, Tidewater Books, or um, 
all the beautiful independence, Westminster books in Fredericton, but equally it's in all the chapters Indigos. Yeah. Uh, equally, people can order it direct from the publisher, which is gooselane.com, or it's on Amazon. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's. I, I hope people enjoy it. There's also an audio book of it now, which I spent uh, many, many days uh, struggling to yeah. uh, record, but it is, <laughs> it is out there. Nice. And um, uh, yeah, I hope people enjoy listening to it or reading it. Oh, your story is awesome. just so sincere and yeah. authentic and inspiring. And we can't thank you enough for making time for us today. And oh, no. Thank you guys. We'll send you much. off with some treats for the car That's and great. wish you all the best this evening and all the days to come. Appreciate it. Yeah. See you both again very soon. Yeah, James. Cheers, Thanks everyone. so much for being here, buddy. Thank you. What a guy, huh? Uh, he's a legend. Total legend. I can't wait to get one of his, to one of his shows soon. Yeah, he's got a few more in around the Maritimes coming up. Yeah, Chester on... Playhouse we might be trying to get to. That one is sold out. Oh, it is. I have found. Oh. But he's on his 10-year in Canada tour. So maybe mm. we'll see if we can get tickets to another show. Yeah, we'll, we'll find one. We'll be following him. We'll be stalking him from now on. Yeah. yeah, James, you have a new stalker. We're saying it publicly. Does that count as stalker <laughs> if you're... Only if the police are listening. <laughs> Don't turn it off your, if you're Hug your ears. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you got coming up? Any any gigs? Any news? Just working on the soundtrack for Galactic Pie. All my instrumental pieces are coming to life. I've been hearing you work on the songs, but also trying not to be too engrossed in them because yeah. I want it to be a little bit of a surprise or an experience when it's finished. Yeah. So... Oh, it's... Uh, so Galactic Pie is my next solo art show at my gallery together land yeah. in Ingramport and it uh, opens October 7th and opening night is a timed show meaning there's a few different components to it that will happen at specific times during that night one of them being your soundtrack mm -hmm. that you have made to go along with my art pieces and our friend Sarah Mater she's a meditation and Pilates and breathwork instructor is going to be doing a brief kind of guided, I don't want to say meditation, but guided experience that ties in the themes of the show of connectivity and sameness and unity. So we've got yeah. crab apple cookery coming with food because they're always reliable at uh, Togetherland shows. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. The event's up on my website now. You can get pay what you can tickets. You can pay from a dollar to... 10 billion. 10 billion. They already had one person pay billion. If you if you do the billion choice, you get a free download of Mike's soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh. this this soundtrack has been super interesting to create because I start I hit record without any idea of what I was going to create. And that is that is very very not how I approach songs normally. It's, it's thousands of hours of pre-production and songwriting and fine-tuning the details this is just let your mind go where it goes in the moment oh how does that feel this is different for you it's, like you are you enjoying it yeah i'm still just getting i'm doing the whole album in like two weeks too so it's uh it's just, worth a billion dollars <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's kind of just getting i'm just getting my feet wet in it now and it is definitely pretty cool I feel a little bit that way too. I have a million ideas that I want to execute before the 7th of October, but trying to start at the high priorities and work my way down into the details because yeah. it could just get out of hand if I 
let everything happen all at once. Just lists it all off and yeah. pick them off Got one lots of lists time. on the go. But uh, heading down to the gallery soon and uh, just hope everybody's enjoying their Wednesday afternoon. We survived the hurricane here in Nova Scotia and not yeah. too much chaos, at least comparatively. So it did pretty good here. Just some branches down. The usual. Yeah. Well, well, we're tough. We're resilient. We can get through anything here. We can now. We've had lots of training this year. And uh, James is a, a maritimer now, so he's got that same grit in him. Yeah, he's here to keep our spirits high. So check out James's show, uh, his book that we mentioned. And he's also editor of Edit Magazine, Maritime yeah. Edit. So they're, they're really beautiful magazines, too. Yeah. I have them. I have all three of them on our bedside table now, and I've just been flipping through, and they make me feel like luxurious or something like oh look what i i have these it's like fine jewelry or something Mm. these magazines so i'm proud of them well let's uh let's wrap this episode up another awesome one and uh thank you all out there for tuning in and yeah share the word around about mike and Kristen, our podcast tell a friend give us a rating and review online if you can and uh yeah we appreciate the sport immensely that's great See you next week, everyone. Cheers.